Well, good morning. Be honest now. How many of you were watching that video of Sean and looking at all the snow in the background, those big piles, and just going, man, am I ever glad we're done with that? <laughs> Weren't you? You bet, right? It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing, though, right? Seasons come and seasons go. We go through seasons in life. There's seasons and, uh, you know, sort of situations or life circumstances that we journey through and we maybe look back uh, in hindsight and go, wow, am I glad I'm not there anymore. 2011 marks an anniversary of sorts for me, a five-year anniversary, in fact. It's not actually an anniversary that I take great delight in. It was the year where I had a season where I experienced my own dark night of the soul. Five years ago, I was weary and burdened. I was not well. I faked it well. I kept everything together as best as I could on the outside. After all, had an image to maintain. Couldn't let too many people know that I was crumbling inside. But inside, spiritually, emotionally, I was weary and burdened. My life and ministry was a mess. I had all sorts of crazy physical symptoms that were happening to me that I didn't always understand, but uh, I had this crazy eye twitch that would just nonstop sometimes twitch. I chewed my fingernails as far as I could chew them on regular occasions. In the midst of one particularly challenging and difficult situation, I was going up to my stairs, which, or going up to my office up the stairs, which was on the second floor of this house that uh, we had our offices in. And I made it up about two thirds of the way and basically came to a place where I physically had to stop, rest to make it to the top of the stairs. I remember going into my office, closing the door, and just weeping at my desk because I knew I was physically totally exhausted. Emotionally, of course, I was on edge. Uh, even in worship services, we would sing songs like we sang this, na- this morning, oh, blessed be your name, when the darkness closes in. And I would just go, it already has. Or there was a song we sang sometimes, Revival. Um, and it was a whole series of lines, and there was one that every time we sang it, it was from the preacher preaching when the well is dry. That was me. <clears throat> I remember on one occasion, I was visiting a lady from our church who had been admitted to the psych ward in a hospital. We couldn't, of course, visit in her room, and they had this common area where um, most of the patients would gather during the day, and if you visited with somebody, you'd find a little table or a corner that you would just sit at and, and visit there. And I remember visiting her and looking around at all of the patients there, and of course, everybody's there for different reasons, and some are more extreme than others, and, 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 and it's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be because you're getting help. But I remember looking and thinking to myself there, nor you could end up here someday. And I remember leaving and that thought recurred in my head for the 30-minute ride home. And I wept most of that ride home. Spiritually, well, most days, it seemed like I had one constant and only prayer and it was just, help me. I was completely and totally burned out. 
The irony was, of course, that it wasn't until even months later that I was finally even able to admit and acknowledge that. I always thought, oh, you know, that'll never happen to me. And while my burnout was due in large part to the circumstances I was in, I also knew that I personally contributed a significant amount to my condition. The things I did, and maybe even more specifically some of the things that I didn't do, they all in some ways conspired to put me in this very vulnerable place. I was, as Wayne Cordero describes it, a dead leader running. Months later, in early 2007, I was given a a great gift, a sabbatical. This wasn't to study or to tour the Holy Land. It was simply to recover. It was to rest. It was to renew. And a sabbatical, if you're not familiar with it, is kind of like an an unending sequence of Sundays for four months. And it was tremendous. We actually physically relocated from where we were living in Ontario. We moved to Cleveland, Ohio, about 30 minutes away from Tina's family. We were able to rent a fully furnished home. All of these were just God's gifts to us, and I won't get into all those details of how they were provided, but it was amazing. And we just spent three months there, and then we were able to spend about a month here in Alberta visiting uh, my family as well. Interestingly, before we left, and even after we left, we would receive emails and cards from people that were just wishing us well, encouraging us in this journey. And without fail, so many of these, I wish I had kept track, but almost, you know, it was in the 80 to 90% of those that actually wrote a verse in these cards or emails, they contained the same passage of Scripture. They were sharing it as an encouragement. Matthew 11 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that verse really became somewhat of a sabbatical theme verse for us. Early on in that sabbatical, Tina and I spent a week at a retreat center, a pastor's retreat center. And uh, they had people that would pray for all of the people that were coming in. They knew very little about us or any of our situations. They would pray and they would leave verses on our pillows before we got there. Guess what verse was there when we got there? Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Just kept coming back and kept coming back to us. Because this... If nothing else, this verse is a word to those who are weary and burdened. Verse 28 indicates that this is who this verse is directed at it. All you who are weary and burdened. And I want you just to notice a couple of things as I explain some things about this verse. I want you to notice just how universal it is. It says right off the top, all you who are weary and burdened. Not just some or or a few, but everyone. Everyone. And the word weary there really could be translated labor. Perhaps if you have another translation, it it uses that word instead of weary. People who've worked hard, people who are exhausted from work or journey, they're engaged in hard work. The word itself implies difficulties and troubles. You know what it means and even what it feels like to be weary, don't you? 
Now, a figurative expression of this weariness, then to take it a little bit further, is to be emotionally fatigued and discouraged. You've lost heart and you want to give up because you're weary. You're spiritually tired. And then the word burdened adds to that. It expands on that to help us understand who is it that Jesus is directing these words to. And he says they're burdened or heavy laden. People who are weighed down with heavy loads. You feel the weight spiritually and then even by extension emotionally. My hunch is that many of you can identify with feeling weary and burdened. You carry heavy loads. Maybe you work for an uncaring boss. Your work situation is less than ideal. Your home life is, is, is a bit of turmoil these days. You're just trying to make ends meet financially. Your child is off track spiritually. You're the primary caregiver for aging parents. You're a single parent. You're a mother and father of one, two, three, maybe even four with a fifth on the way. And they're all under six. (laughs) And you're weary. Or you're a widower and you're lonely. You're living with the reality of a serious illness. Whatever the case may be, we go through seasons in life where we are more weary and burdened than we are at other times. But I found when I was in that situation, my prayer was simply at times, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of this? And so we question God and we we look for answers to these big, tough and hard questions for which in most cases there are no answers. And you even doubt that God has an answer. Maybe he doesn't care. And you're weary and burdened. But in this context, it's not just those that were carrying an emotional burden. Now, Jesus reserved some of his harshest words and and, and sharpest criticism for the Pharisees. You saw it in the beginning of the video there. You know, he's pronouncing these woes on, on these people. Like that wasn't probably the most uplifting and enlightening sermon that you may have heard that day. But you saw Jesus in that video go from criticizing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and then moving to all of the others who were weary and burdened because of the kind of things that these Pharisees had put on them. And he then says, come to me and offers this invitation. And so he reserved these harsh words for those self-righteous, legalistic, religious leaders. In fact, in Matthew 23... Um, the beginning of the chapter, and then in verse 4, in this passage there, Jesus is condemning the teachers of the law and the Pharisees because of the heavy burden that their legalistic traditions had put on the people. And he uses this phrase. He says, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. Now grab that word picture. They take these heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders. They were putting these burdens on them of these legalistic uh, traditions. And living under the burden of religious legalism will make you weary. Legalism will suck the life out of a person. Legalism ultimately can destroy churches. But what is legalism? Here's a definition. Seeking to attain, gain, 
or maintain acceptance with God or to grow spiritually by keeping a written or unwritten code of, or standard of performance. Okay, let me just read that again. Seeking to attain, gain, or maintain acceptance with God or to grow spiritually by keeping a written or unwritten code or standard of performance. So it simply means that we're trying to gain acceptance with God by doing certain things or not doing certain things. And if we know that there's certain things that we should do because somebody said, well, you should do this and then you don't do it, you feel guilty. So you keep doing those things for a hope that somehow God will then accept you more because you're doing those things. That creates excessive and heavy burdens. Maybe put it a little simpler. Have you ever wondered why as Christians we have such a hard time saying no? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. But you're asked to do just one more thing and it's hard to say no. Because if we do, we feel this compelling urge to explain why or we feel guilty because we're not doing something. We should never get there. I have a confession to make to you and this was, I think, in large part that led to my burnout was that I'm a recovering people pleaser. Right? And as a pastor, I'm telling you, it's a very subtle danger because it's something that you think, hey, if I just do one more thing and if I do that and make that phone call, do that visit, just do something more and then maybe people will like me more. I want to make everybody happy. I want to please people. I want to keep, keep, you know, and you do all of these crazy things and slowly it starts to whittle away. After... I started this whole journey of understanding how I came to this place of burnout. I read a great quote, and it was that you didn't need to, you know, kind of have the engine revved over the, the red line, you know, repeatedly a couple of times. You just need to be a little bit over on a constant basis, and you can burn out an engine. And that's what it was. It was always just, just over the red line. All of that ultimately led me to a place of coming back and going, do I understand grace? And I came to the conclusion that I'm not sure that we fully understand grace. We talk about grace in Christian circles. We sing about grace. But we often fall prey then to the temptation to live by works. And slowing down, doing nothing can be very uncomfortable for those of us who are works-orientated. And I suspect some of us, many of us, maybe even have a whole list of things that we're thinking, I have to do this this afternoon. And instead of just saying, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission because God gave me permission to rest this afternoon, to take this Sabbath. It's a good thing. It reminds us that we live by grace. And we remember that our work is not the only thing that matters. I've, I think I've said this before on the sabbatical that we're on. Some days, the greatest accomplishment I had that day was to take a nap. In the midst of eating, but it was just take a nap. My kids laugh at me. You know what? One of the things I love to do on a Sunday afternoon is what? Take a nap. Okay? 
we're given permission to do that. God designed it that way. And if you're weary and burdened, may I suggest to you that one of the, maybe the very first things that you need to do for yourself is take a nap this afternoon and get that extra rest. Relax. I picked up on our sabbatical. It was great. We spent time in uh, this pastor's retreat center was in Amish country and in uh, kind of just south of Cleveland. And if you ever know how the Amish live and uh, there's some great things there. And there's actually a manufacturer there of almost everything that you see in blessings, all those little wall plaques and things like that. And we toured this factory and it was, it was quite cool. And I remember walking by this row of things and I went, I need to get that. This is this week's portion of show and tell. Can you read it? By grace alone. And I just have this sitting on my desk. Every time I walk into my office, I see this. And it's a simple reminder that I live by grace alone. And I don't have to do anything on that particular day. I'm not talking about having work responsibilities, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You get this whole long list of things that we're just going to frantically get done. And like Ken said at the introduction, you know, we get to a place, especially at this season, where there's all these extra things going on and we're busy and we're frantic. And I've just talked to, to many of you and I know I feel it myself can just start to start to feel weary and burdened. And now is a good time to catch it, to remind yourself that we live by grace alone. And so to those who are weary and burdened, Jesus offers a few things. He offers a tender invitation. He says, come to me. It's a great invitation. It's really a call to relationship. It's an invitation to trust Jesus personally, not just to believe historical facts about him. In, in the second, first half of verse 29, he extends this invitation even further with this simple request. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now that would seem maybe a little bit of like a contradiction, right? Because a yoke was a wooden frame that was used to join two animals, typically oxen, together for pulling heavy loads. And we're thinking, I'm already burdened. Why would I want something else? But Jesus uses this yoke here as a metaphor for discipleship to Jesus. He uses the yoke as an illustration or as a metaphor of being connected to him. And the Jewish listeners that Jesus shared this with, they would have immediately identified. Because it was a common metaphor in Judaism for the law. And the oral law, with its massive obligations, it became far more burdensome than Scripture itself. And to those, to those people, it was a yoke. It was a crushing burden. And used in the Old Testament, even as a metaphor, for those to be subjected to foreign oppression, the yoke of slavery. And so in Leviticus 26, verse 13, this is how it looks. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to Egyptians. Now listen to what he says is how, what he did about it. He says, I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. What a great physical picture, right? Because they were in slavery. They had their heads in this yoke, as it were, bent over, working hard, being oppressed. And it was God who liberated them and set them free. And he broke those bars. It's a great picture. He just smashed that yoke to pieces. And then they could walk 
with heads held high. What a great physical picture, isn't it? You see, these yokes, they were burdensome. And so, to those who were weary and burdened, Jesus offers this invitation to relationship. When Jesus spoke of a yoke, he was referring to this relationship, a relationships where the two of you, me and Jesus, you and Jesus, whoever it would be, he says, where we would walk side by side in the same direction, covering the same ground, overcoming the same obstacles together, traveling at the same speed, Walking in tandem together. He leads us and guides us and we follow him. We sang this morning, where you go, I'll go. When we're connected to Jesus with this yoke, he's leading and we follow. He stays, we stay. When he moves, we move. Whom he loves, we love. How he serves, because we're connected to him, we see that. That's how we'll serve. So we learn from him. So not surprisingly, in verse 29, he just says, after he says, come to me, the relationship, take my yoke upon me, then he says, learn from me. And that little phrase really is getting to the heart of the matter because he becomes our teacher. And that's what a disciple is. Someone who's a learner, a student, a follower of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it just begins, it says, His disciples came to them, and He began to teach them. Okay, that's a great little just picture of it. His disciples came to Jesus, He began to teach them, and Jesus taught what the law intended. If you remember the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, there's all of these phrases regularly where it says, You have heard, okay? You have heard that it was this way, but I'm going to tell you it's actually this way. And so this invitation that Jesus offers is for every one of us. And it's an invitation to relationship. Have you responded? Have you crossed that line of faith and said, Jesus, I've heard about you. I don't know what this all means. But when you invite me into a relationship, I want to follow I want to put my trust in you. And then once we've placed our trust in him, we simply learn how to follow by following. Now, not only does Jesus offer this tender invitation, he also gives a thrilling promise. He says in the middle of verse 28, he says, I will give you rest. What a great promise to those who are weary and burdened. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Come and find rest that cannot be found in legalistic religion, but only in an intimate relationship. That's what he was inviting all of those who were gathered around to do. And he still invites us to do that today. In the second half of verse 29, it goes on. He says, you will find rest for your souls. It's not you might or or maybe you'll find this. I'm promising you, he says, you come to me and you will find the rest that you need. You will get the rest that you need. And this is, he's talking about true rest here. Rest from the weariness and burden of religious regulation and human oppression. He says, you will find rest in Jesus' yoke of discipleship, simply through simple commitment to him. And then what Jesus really offers is a tangible contrast. 
Think about this. We've talked about what it means to be weary and burdened. And then he describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. That's quite a drastic contrast, isn't it? And what he's really contrasting in many ways is religious people versus Jesus. Versus people who have a relationship with Jesus. He says our yoke is hard and our burden may be heavy, but he describes his yoke as being easy and his burden light. But interestingly, and I don't want us to miss this, there is a yoke and there is a burden. It's just that it's easy and light in Jesus' terms. You see, being a disciple of Jesus does offer relief from the burden of these Pharisaic regulations, but it's not total lawlessness. It's not anything goes. There are still commands to obey. Listen to 1 John 5, verse 3. He says, This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. You see the connection? When we follow Jesus and are living in obedience to Him, following and doing the things that He wants us to do should never be a burden. They're not burdensome. So really there's this contrast here between a religion and and, and this relationship that I've talked about. And religion is thinking simply that my good works save me. So if I do enough, you know, if I do, you know, enough things this day and this week and before I die, if I do enough good things, then I'm going to be saved. And if that's how we think, then our concern becomes of one of religious duty. We want to fulfill our obligations because we just subtly think that, you know, if I do this, then God will love me more. But a relationship is doing good works because I already am saved. Now it's not, oh, I have to do this. It's, I want to do this. I do these things not out of obligation and duty. I do this because God loves me. And I want to show love for Him. This is love for God, to obey His commands. So I love and serve God and others out of a renewed and loving spirit, not from some compulsion or obligation. Do you see the the subtle mindset there? But when we do things continually out of duty and obligation, and it feels heavy and burdensome, we may be doing it from the wrong perspective, from the wrong motivation. Jesus' yoke is easy because his teaching equips us to live out God's will. His disciples are not released from this burden, but they have the promises of Jesus' help. The burden is light because Jesus shares it with us, right? We're in this yoke together. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a metaphor that we don't talk about a lot, right? We, 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 we kind of understand the cross because that, that's central, but we may not think of our relationship with Jesus in terms of this yoke. But that's what Jesus is referring to here. And because he's pulling with us and pulling for us, this burden, this yoke becomes light. And the Holy Spirit provides strength. And then when we read in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him 
because He cares for you. We get it. We realize that there's a lot of things that maybe weigh us down and the anxieties we feel. And it's a great word picture there. Cast, it's, it's hurl, it's, it's bundle up all your anxiety and concerns. And you know when you see the, the, the garbage truck going down the street and you see the guy grab that hunk, you know, big bag of garbage and just toss it into the truck? That's the word picture there. Just cast it on Jesus. He cares for you. He cares for me. Doug Webster in his book called The Easy Yoke. This is what he says. His easy yoke is neither cheap nor convenient. The surprising promise of the easy yoke was meant to free us from a self-serving, meritorious, performance-based religion. It is easy in that it frees us from the burden of self-centeredness, liberates us from the load of self-righteousness, and frees us to live in the way that God intended us to live. The easy yoke, he goes on to say, sounds like an oxymoron. Plowing a field or pulling a load is hard work. And nowhere does Jesus promise soft ground for tilling or level paths for bearing the load. What he does promise is a relationship with himself. The demands are great, but the relationship with Jesus makes the burden light. We know life can be hard, it can be complicated. But life can be simplified when we do walk with Jesus in the real real world and having him teach us moment by moment how to live life his way. Remember many years ago, the what would Jesus do kind of thing that took off and there were bracelets and this, that, and everything that said, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Really the question should be, what did Jesus do? So we're not speculating in the hypothetical about what would Jesus do in this situation. It's more of, well, what did Jesus do? How, how did he live? Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Discipline, writes, the secret of the easy yoke is simple, actually. It is the intelligent, informed, unyielding resolve to live as Jesus lived in all aspects of his life, not just in the moment of specific choice or action. The intelligent, informed, unyielding resolve to live as Jesus lived. So how do we understand that? It begins simply by immersing ourselves in, in the book, in the Bible, in his word. Remember I said I contributed a significant part to my condition. I had, whether it was the precursor or the result of that, I got to a place where I spent very little time during those dark nights in the Word. And that's embarrassing, but it's true. When we read about how Jesus handled situations, we we learn to live as Jesus lived. Read the Gospels. Read them over and over and just see how Jesus treated people and the things that He did and how He lived. And I think you'll at least get a couple of things. You know, I mean, asking yourself, what, did, what kind of disciplines did Jesus practice? What did he do? Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Way of the Heart, he gives these three things. And if you're looking for a, a simple, great book to read, it's, it's that book. It's called The Way of the Heart. And he says these three things. This is what we need. We need solitude, right? Again, right? It's that Sabbath thing. 
Find a place where you can get alone. And you read about Jesus, even in the midst of the busiest things, he's healing people and stuff is happening. And what do you read? He often withdrew to a lonely, quiet place. And for some of you moms and some of you dads who kind of wonder how in the world would I ever get that kind of quiet place in our house, you just need to find it. Wait till the kids are in bed. Sit down. Relax. Find that time alone. That's what Jesus did. Second thing Henry Nouwen would say would be silence. On our sabbatical, we had no cable TV. We had no satellite. Uh, we had no phone, working phone like landline. And, and people just left us alone because they knew that was important for us. And it was an amazing time. I don't know how many times even this past week or last couple of weeks, the phone's ringing right at dinner. And it's like, <laughs> do we answer that? Do we go? You've all been there. And especially now we've got cell phones. They're attached to us and it's ringing and it's vibrating. And it's like, you know, like for me, whenever I get by myself and start to have some silence, I hear talk, clocks ticking. I hear little things beeping and buzzing all over the place. And it's just like, ah, I can't even find it in my own house. But we need to find that time for silence because we need to pray. Because it's where we get grounded. It's where we can cast our cares upon the Lord. Where we can say to him, Lord, I am heavy and burdened today. And he goes, I know. Bring it to me. A.W. Tozer prayed, Lord, teach me to listen. The times are noisy and my ears are weary with a thousand ruckus sounds which continuously assault them. Give me the spirit of the boy Samuel when he said to thee, speak for thy servant heareth. Let me hear thee speaking in my heart. Let me get used to the sound of thy voice that its tones may be familiar when the sounds of the earth die away and the only sound will be the music of thy speaking voice. Amen. That's a great prayer for all of us. Lord, just tune our ears so that we could hear your voice. So we can rest in this relationship with Jesus where we commit ourselves to him, we surrender to him. Rest is not something we do, right? We can't just say, okay, I'm going to rest now. It's actually what happens or what comes to us when we cease to do. When we stop doing. We all have too many things to do. And we're busy. And so by no means do I want to add to that list. But let me give you a couple of quick things to add to your to-do list. Number one know that some things in life need to be shared. Okay? We tend to do way too many things on our own and we need to try to share those things. We need to ask for help. That's hard for a lot of us. And others, we need to be in tune and going, you know, I think I could help that person. I could help them with that load. It's a great story in Exodus 18 where Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, he was watching Moses working himself 
to crazy to a crazy place, really. And his father-in-law has the wisdom to look at it and says, you know what? This is no good, Moses. There's way too much for you to do. You need to share it with others. Here's the word that he says. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And there's something I think about us that says, oh, we're tough and strong and we can handle this on our own. Some things you can't. And so you need to be able to share those things. Galatians 6.2 is the encouragement to all of us to carry each other's burdens. Okay? We all have a certain amount that we need to carry. But when we see somebody with that extra heavy burden, that extra load, we can step in and come alongside them and share it for them. Secondly, some things need to be stopped. Some things need to be stopped. There's a lot of good things that we do, but sometimes you need to eliminate the good things so you can just concentrate on the best things. You remember Luke 10, 41 through 42, the story of Mar- uh, Mary and Martha and Jesus coming in and Martha's running around crazily trying to get the meals prepared and, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Great picture of discipleship. Martha gets all out of sorts and she attacks Jesus and blames him and says, you know, tell Mary to help me in the kitchen here. And Jesus' words, Martha, Martha. There's many things that are needed, but only one. It's a great reminder. In Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. The word still there means really to slacken or to allow to sink, to let drop. And so when, we, when it says be still, sometimes we need to just let certain things drop. We need to let certain things go. We need to stop certain things. And then we can know that he is God. And lastly, Can I suggest to you that everything then needs to be surrendered, right? Everything needs to be surrendered. Those heavy loads that you're feeling, recognize as the psalmist did in Psalm 62 verse 1, my soul finds rest in God alone. Not TV, not our favorite show, not surfing the internet, not Facebook, not any of those things that we can use as Time passes it. We think, oh, I just got to relax. Click, click, click. I realize this message is probably mostly for me today because I need to get to that place, to recognize the truth of that. You can look everywhere to find rest, but your souls will only find rest in God alone. And lastly, Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Whatever load you're carrying today, surrender it to God. Trust him with it. Know that this yoke you're not pulling alone, that Jesus is with you. I'm going to close with these words. Eugene Peterson, some of you are very familiar with the message. And the message is a translation of the, of the English Bible in a sense. It's, it's a, a paraphrase of the English Bible. But he uses some great phrases. And I think this one will capture it very well and summarize what I've shared this morning. He asks these questions. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? We've talked about that, haven't we? He says, come to me. Get away with me. There's that solitude. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me 
Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Here it is again. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.